welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad to see all of you. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. We know that this is your church, your connection to us, and we always want to welcome you as well. Um, great day to be, be here and to be in church, uh, whether you're online or in person. And we're in a series called Shatterproof from 2 Corinthians. It's been a great series. We've called it that because the author, Paul, has endured all kinds of problems in his life, but no matter what happens to him, he is absolutely shatterproof. And today I want to talk to you about being shatterproof in our weaknesses, because every one of us has weaknesses. I have many, many weaknesses, but recently I had a physical weakness that prevented me from playing golf, which I know is very trivial, almost embarrassing to even mention this, but I love golf, love everything about it. I love the look and feel of my favorite golf ball, the Titleist Pro V1, which is softer than the Pro V1X. I have a mental problem with the Pro V1X. It messes with my swing thoughts. I love the thwack sound when my driver strikes the ball and it explodes off the tee 250 yards down the fairway. And I just feel this absolute pure joy. And it's so joyful because it happens so rarely for me when that sound happens so beautifully. Uh, And we Minnesotans wait seven long, torturous months for that very first swing, which is why I was borderline depressed this spring when I started to feel pain in my left shoulder. I remember the exact moment when it happened. I took a 120-yard shot into the green, took a divot, and as soon as I struck the ball, this pain shot up through my shoulder, and it hurt like crazy. And I said to my golf partner, I said, I think I'm in trouble. I knew something was strained or torn, and that began a two-month-long search for answers. The first thing I did, I called my son-in-law, Nellie, who's a radiologist, and he researched rotator cuff injuries, and then he sent me five pages of strength training exercises, and he said it would take weeks or months to heal. I called him. I said, I don't have weeks. He said, look, you can't rush this. You got to give it weeks and let, let's hope it's not your labrum that's torn. I went to see a local doctor. He gave me another five pages of exercises. I Googled golf swing labrum tears and I learned everything I could about my shoulder. I accosted personal trainers at, at my little gym that I belonged to and I pumped them for free advice. I complained to my staff so much so they got tired of me talking about it. I whined about it so much to my wife that she finally told me to buck up, sissy pants. She just was tired of me talking about this. She accuses me of having a low tolerance for pain, and then she'll mention childbirth, which is totally unfair. She'll say, try pushing out an eight-pound baby, then talk to me about your little shoulder pain. It's like, I'd never do that in a million years to have a child. Finally... After a month of seeing doctors, trainers, therapists, after doing exercises day after day with no improvement, I couldn't take it anymore. So I grabbed my putter, because that's all I could use. I couldn't swing a club, grabbed some uh, balls, and, and I went over to a putting green, and I putted for two hours straight. And then I went back again and again, and putting is the worst part of my game, and I, I experimented with drills and in my grip and my stance was changing things and I kept going back and I began to notice something that my putting, which was the worst part of my game, started to get better and my confidence started to grow and I was learning things new about how to putt. Today, today I'm, I'm glad to say 
I'm back playing golf with kind of tendonitis through my shoulder. I have a winning record, which is so wonderful, especially with the young guys I play with. And my game is stronger than ever because my putting has gotten so much better. And what I've learned is that a weakness can actually turn into a strength. That not being able to swing a club forced me to focus on another part of my game. It's made me stronger and better overall in every part of my game. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in my hardships and difficulties for when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And of course, he had far greater problems than a little shoulder injury. Look what he says in chapter 11. He says, I've worked harder than anybody. I've been in jail. I've been whipped. Five times the Jews gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I've gone without sleep, food, and water. I've been naked and cold. But, he says, I delight. I delight in these things. Weaknesses, hardships, and difficulties. For when I'm at my weakest point, that's, he says, that's when I'm strong. I mean, I get thrown by a golf injury or bad email. I'm like, I'm out. If I had gotten beaten by rods, throw in the towel, I'd quit everything. But Paul says, no, at my very weakest point, that's when I'm strong. And it doesn't even phase him, these things. Because Paul has discovered something interesting, profound, about weaknesses that made him shatterproof. And I'm telling you, if you and I can get a hold of this truth today, it's gonna make us more shatterproof. And it's contained in this little statement, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now gang, everybody has weaknesses. We all do. You and I have physical weaknesses, emotional weaknesses, relational intellectual and talent weaknesses. The question is, how do we view these things? You know, most people resent their weaknesses and spend their whole life trying to overcome them or hide them from people because we don't want people to know what our weaknesses are. But Paul says, no, I delight in my weaknesses. In fact, in verse nine, he says, I boast about my weaknesses. Again, most of us try to hide them or mitigate them, but Paul says, look, I gladly boast about my weaknesses. Here's the reason why. So that Christ's power can rest upon me. Now, we all have strengths, and God certainly uses our strengths, but the Bible says God also uses our weaknesses. He says, in fact, it's in our weaknesses that God's power really gets to show up and be revealed. So again, what are your weaknesses? Because that's where God often wants to reveal his power. Now, when I'm talking about weaknesses, I'm not talking about sins or character flaws. Um, I'm not talking about lust or lying or greed or overeating or overdrinking. Those are sins that you need to deal with and try to overcome and get rid of. Rid of. So these are not, those things are sins. Not uh, Your weakness, a definition of a weakness is this. A weakness is any limitation that I wish I didn't have and oftentimes can't do anything about. It's not a sin. 
sins we need to do something about, it's a limitation that I wish I didn't have and oftentimes can't do anything about. So we all have, you know, age limitations. You know, why is it that we're either too young or too old to do anything? Ah, you're too young. Ah, you're too old. You know, I was 29 just three, three days ago. No kidding. Now I'm 59, and in about a week, I'm going to be 79. Age limitations. We have physical limitations, disabilities or illnesses. Some of us battle migraines. We have a bad back, some of us, or hearing or eyesight. This is actually a point of humor for me because about 25,000 people watch or listen to us every single week. But whenever somebody meets me for the first time in person, you know what they do? They look at me like, really? You're Bob Merritt? And I can tell they're not impressed. It happened last night with a woman. She, she said, you know, you're, you're him? And the first thing is I'm little. I'm just 5'9", barely a buck 50. My eyes, you can't see my eyes. They're sunken into my forehead. My ears are crooked. I'm a little bald. And I've got an Adam's apple the size of Milwaukee. Look at that sucker. Isn't that wild? It's a gift. We have physical, yeah, somebody's clapping, I, I'm, I, I need that, that's good, I love that. But we have physical limitations, we have, we have relational limitations. Some of you have a spouse who's not supportive of you, or that that's, your spouse isn't a believer, or, or you have kids who are in trouble, or a parent who's a problem for you. Some parents are just, man. Some of us have emotional limitations, prone to depression. I was coming to work the other day, and just a wave of depression, I did, just didn't want to come. It doesn't happen very often, but I thought, man, some people deal with this every day. And it's just unexplainable. Worry. Loss of temper. And we have talent limitations. You know, Jesus said, there are one talent people, there are five talent people, and there are ten talent people, and you can't do anything about it. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's just the way it is. There are things that you and I will never be good at because they're weaknesses, they're limitations that God has allowed for a reason. It just is. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this. We, we have this amazing treasure. By the way, this is for believers. If you're an unbeliever here, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense. We're so glad you're here. We hope one day you'll cross that line of faith and experience Christ and Paul says, we have this amazing treasure, Jesus, living inside us. And he calls us clay jars. We're clay jars. And here's the reason, to show everybody that our power comes from God and not from ourselves. He says, we're just a bunch of clay jars. And, you know, clay jars are fragile. And they're often chipped and cracked. And, and there's none that are the same. They break easily. And Paul says, we have this amazing treasure in bodies that get tired and break down and wear out. And he's saying, God puts this amazing gift, his son, his Holy Spirit, inside very ordinary containers. Now, why does God do that? Why does he put his power in ordinary, fragile containers? I'm going to give you three reasons. The first one is this. God's power shows up best. No kidding. Shows up best in our weaknesses. See, the problem some of us have is we want to tr tackle all of our problems 
on our own power. We just think, I'm gonna nail this. I don't need God. Don't need him in my marriage, my family. Don't need him at my work and decision making. I just don't, I'm gonna do this all on my own. My 18 month old granddaughter has discovered stairs. And she wants to go up and down stairs without mom or dad's help. But the other day, she also discovered gravity. And we were there to witness it. And it was kind of funny to me, but you know, was, she tumbled. No permanent damage, but man, it was, you know, a lot of crying. Little face plant on the carpet there. And that's the way we are, a lot of us. She paid a price. You know, a lot of us say, God, I'm gonna do this on my own. And God, you know, just kind of steps back and says, all right, go ahead. And he watches us try to lead our business on our own power. We try to fix our marriage on our own power. I don't need you, God, we'll do this on our own. Try to keep our kids from tanking on our own power. Try to overcome a habit or an addiction on our own. And we think, you know, we got this until we tumble. And we pay a very steep price. On the other hand, you know, if you come to a point of humility and honesty and dependence on God and we say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And, and God is, I'm telling you, He's just waiting for us to do that. Waiting for us to ask, and like a good father, he takes our hand, he gives us the power and guidance we need to get down the stairs. Paul says, look, I delight in my weaknesses. I boast about my weaknesses because that's when God's power shows up. So again, what is your greatest weakness? Everybody has them. Everybody has at least one, think about that. What's your greatest weakness that you wish you didn't have and maybe resent? Is it that maybe you're too shy? You know, you wish you were stronger in your personality. You don't, maybe you don't like your hair. I don't either. I don't like mine either. Is that you don't think you're pretty enough or strong enough or brave enough or smart enough. Maybe it's, maybe it's a disability. You know, maybe you haven't met Mr. or Mrs. Wright and you think, if I could just get married. Really? Have you seen some married people? <laughs> Marriage is hard. It's wonderful when you work at it and forgive and forgive and forgive, but it's hard. Gang, everybody has a weaknesses, so what, what's yours? I love what Paul says in verse seven. He talks about a thorn. He says, three times I pleaded with God to take this thorn away. He's got a thorn in his flesh. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He's got this thorn. And three times Paul pleads with God, please take this away. And we naturally want to get rid of our weaknesses. But if God's power shows up best in our weaknesses, why would God take it away? Why would he remove the very thing that he's using to show his power and make us strong. So again, what is your weakness? And instead of trying to hide it or get rid of it, could it be that your limitation or your weakness is the very thing that God wants to use to reveal his power in your life? I gave a lot of thought to my greatest weakness this past week, and this will surprise some of you. My greatest weakness is fear. 
It's a thorn in my flesh that I've tried to overcome and that most people don't know about. And my greatest fear is doing this, teaching and speaking in front of large crowds. Most people have no idea how difficult it is for me to come out of this back room and walk onto this stage every time I speak, week after week, year after year, how nervous, how inadequate, how afraid I feel every time. No matter how effective I might have been the week before, all the same feelings of fear and inadequacy come racing back. And I think to myself, God, what am I going to say this week that'll challenge and inspire people? What can I possibly say that'll connect with the 12-year-old kid who's thinking only about the next pokey stop? Whatever that is. <laughs> or the 80-year-old woman or man who knows every verse in the Bible. Or the 20-year-old who doesn't know any verse and doesn't care. What am I going to say? In fact, after college and seminary years ago, I pastored a small little church in Fallen, Wisconsin. For five years I was there. Decided I didn't know if I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So I went back to school to see if I could do something else. I taught for a while at Penn State University teaching college students. Didn't like that either. So I said, God, I'm willing to lead a church again. But you know how afraid I am of speaking and how I dislike crowds. So let's keep it small. <laughs> no kidding. Came to White Bear Lake in Minnesota, a little church, 350 people. They had two services. I didn't know I could do two services. But I thought, okay, God, I can handle this trauma twice, but I will never do three. In a year, we were doing three services. And I said, all right, God, I know you're leading me. I know people need the Lord. Without Jesus, they're without hope. So I'll do three, but never four. Then we did four services, and then five services, and then six. At one time, we were doing seven services for 5,000 people. Last Easter, we did 46 services at six campuses, and 44,000 people came to hear me speak. But the next day, the next day, I wanted to run away to North Dakota somewhere and just hide. Now, why would God do that? Why would God choose a guy whose biggest weakness is he's afraid to speak and dislikes crowds and put him in front of large crowds to speak biblical truth? Gang, here's the reason. So everybody would know that it's God and not me. So that God's power would show up through my feeble weakness telling you nothing drives me more to prayer. Nothing forces me to depend more on God than my weakness of fear and inadequacy to show everybody that it's got to be him. It's got to be his power, his wisdom, his choosing, his work. I've learned that when I am weak in my fear, that's when I'm strong because that's when I rely on God's power and God's power shows up. The thing that's been my greatest hurdle has also been what God has used more than anything else in my life. And isn't this true? Sometimes your greatest weakness is often connected to your greatest strength. Not always, 
But a lot of times your greatest weakness is right there next to your greatest strength. And by the way, you know, Jason Strand and, and John Alexander, they get up here, they preach without notes, which is so annoying to me because <laughs> I could never do that in a million years. And people think it's amazing, and it is. But I assure you, they've got other weaknesses, big honking, glaring ones. that they'll tell you about someday, maybe when they grow up and become mature, okay? <laughs> no, you know I love both of them. But the first reason, the first reason Paul boasts about his weaknesses is that's where God's power shows up best. Second, second reason is this. Weaknesses, this is so key, weaknesses actually deepen our character. I've learned more about prayer more about humility, more about overcoming annoying habits and patterns in my life, more about depending on God, more about how to do marriage well, more about managing the pace of my life through my weaknesses, not through my strengths. My weaknesses have forced me to read and learn and pray and ask people for advice who are better than me. My weaknesses have forced me to get counseling and coaching which help me become stronger and better as a person. Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. He asked God three times to remove it. We don't know what this thorn is. Could be a person or physical ailment, but sometimes your greatest thorn or weakness could be a person. It could be a person. Some of you have a thorny parent or a thorny sibling or boss or spouse or coworker, and they are a thorn in your side. And that person is your greatest weakness and you think, if I could just get rid of this person, my troubles would be over. But let me ask you a question. How do you learn patience or forgiveness or setting boundaries unless you're around people who test you in those areas and force you to build your character. For example, if God wants you to teach, teach you about patience, will he put you around people who are super, super nice and easy to get along with? No. He'll put you around annoying people who make slurpy sounds when they eat and cut in line in front of you. That's how you learn patience. How does God teach you about forgiveness? By putting you around someone who has wronged you. And you don't want to forgive. Forgiveness is unnatural. It's very hard. But how do you learn it? Unless someone has crossed you. How does God teach you humility? By putting you around people who are better than you. How does he teach you about setting boundaries? By putting you around people who routinely try to take advantage of you. This could be a parent, could be a sibling or child. And you're so tired and the behavior is so dysfunctional, you say, it's time to set a boundary around this. And you learn it. And you grow and your character gets stronger. Your great greatest weakness might be a person who you wish you never met. But maybe God is using that person to show you how not to behave. My character has grown best around the challenges and weaknesses and the thorny people. 
in my life. Third way, you got to learn that God's grace, God's grace is sufficient in our weaknesses. Paul goes on to say, he says, look, to keep me from becoming conceited or self, you know, promoting or self-confident, God gave me a thorn to torment me three times. God, take this away, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It means that no matter what your weakness is, no matter what thorn you have or struggle you're dealing with, God's grace, God's power is sufficient to get you through. And I know some of you are in a really bad work situation. Some of you are in a bad roommate situation. Maybe your spouse just filed for divorce. Maybe you're overwhelmed with a couple little kids pulling on you constantly. It's just insane. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're feeling completely alone and afraid at school. Paul says he's endured insults, beatings, hardships, difficulties. He had a thorn in his flesh. He asked God three times to remove it. What was God's answer? God's answer was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And you say, God, I want this removed. I want this problem solved now. Take my thorn away now. But sometimes, gang, God's answer isn't to remove it, but to give you the grace and power to get through it. Sometimes God's answer isn't to get rid of it, but to give you grace and power and wisdom to handle it. Isn't this true? Often the situation we want changed is what God wants to use to change and strengthen us three times. Paul pleaded with God to remove this thorn, and God said, no, I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You're going to see my power come alive. And we don't know how it happened, but I believe it did. Now, recently, one of our staff has faced a really hard situation and has been learning what it means that God's grace is sufficient. And we want you to see her story, and then I'll come back up and we'll wrap up for the day. Watch this. My name is Joelle, and I'm the teaching pastor here for Ground Zero, which is our ministry to middle school students. And I have so much passion for that ministry because I think those are the years when we want them to know who Jesus is and how much of a difference he can make in their lives. I think working with students is just the perfect job for me because I have endless enthusiasm and joy and passion for that age group and it just never seems to end. But lately that has been much more of a struggle for me. Over the last six months, my life has drastically changed. In March, I was taking care of my sick daughter and I just got a headache kind of mid-morning and I decided to lay down with her. I thought, oh, I'm just getting whatever illness she has. I thought it was a normal virus, um, but about eight days later, like, you know, the cough and the runny nose and the fever went away, but the headache remained. And then about three weeks later, when I was still struggling with this constant headache, I realized 
that what I had might be much more serious. And over the course of weeks and months of meeting with different doctors, I received a diagnosis. They started referring to what I had as a new daily persistent headache. They were telling me, you have a headache and it's not gonna go away for the rest of your life. It's something that's really rare. Most people have never heard of it. Medicine can't touch it. It's not treatable. Uh, it's progressive, they tell me. And um, it's a pretty terrible diagnosis. When they told me that I had this, I of course started Googling it and quickly discovered that the support groups were very depressing places to visit because people were saying that they had had this for 15 years or 25 years and had been bedridden since the first few months of having it. And as I read that, it felt like I'd rather have anything else. And I know that's not true. Um, I know people struggle through much greater things than I'm struggling with right now, but I feel like I'd rather go through a difficult treatment than have something that is untreatable that I just have to deal with every day of my life. It was pretty difficult for my husband and I to come to grips with this idea that on March 6th, I was a totally normal functioning person. And on March 7th, I was a sick person. And it's really hard to say goodbye to um, that old life. Everything is different for us now. You know, I have two children. Ryan turned seven in August, and Hannah's four and a half now. And they have a different kind of mom who can't play with them. Um, I sleep a lot because it's just a break from the headache, and it's just a, a moment when I don't have to feel it. Um, my husband does all the household duties now. He gets up extra early. He makes the kids breakfast. He was always very hands-on, but now he has to do everything. I don't know why I have this illness. It's been the biggest challenge of my life, but I can tell that God is working in me despite the illness and in many ways he is taking this weakness and making me stronger. I think it's made my marriage stronger. I've been slowing down and I see things around me that I've never noticed before in my entire life. I've noticed my reliance on God a lot more and that's a gift that comes along with this. I mean I literally am relying on God for everything. I'm just praying and I'm just saying to God, I won't be able to do today without you. And every day, every day since I got this, he has given me what I needed to get through that day. Um, I can't say it's been pleasant, but I'm here, I'm still, preparing messages for students. I'm still loving my children and my husband in a different way, um, but that's because of God. You know, using this 
time of extreme weakness in my life to, I guess, show off his strength. I've thought a lot about what I would say to people who are right in the middle of a painful situation. People who don't know that there'll be a happy ending because that's where I'm at right now. I don't know that there will be a happy ending. I think what I'd say is don't run away from God, run towards him. I think I'd say he didn't do this to you, but he loves you in the midst of it. I think I'd say when we're weak, he's strong. And and then I'd probably say this really stinks and I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so all I can say is God has been so good to me and that has not changed one bit since I've been in the midst of this. If anything, I've experienced his goodness and his strength more. Joel is uh, one of our most treasured colleagues. She's full of energy. She's just one of those people that lights up a room. And she's a very dear friend of mine. And I love her. And you know the question, why? Why, why does this happen sometimes? And sometimes there is no good answer. Paul said, God, why do I have this thorn? Why do I go through these difficult times? Will you remove it? And God said, Paul, my grace, my provision, my goodness will be enough for you. And my power will actually be revealed in your weakness. And so we don't often know why, but, but maybe, maybe God wants to show you and show others a new side of who God is. A God that can be trusted. A God that's faithful and good and true. We're all praying for a healing for Joel and we don't know if that's in her future or not. But we do know that God is good. And he is enough. Even in our toughest times. Uh, at this time, I'm just going to invite all of our campuses to stand for closing prayer with that thought. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Joelle. I thank you for her life. Thank you for her willingness to talk about this. I thank you that your grace is going to be sufficient for her. That your power is going to be revealed through her. God, we all pray for a miraculous healing in her life. And that that could be part of the God story that she'll be able to tell. Father, all of us stand before you with weaknesses and limitations that 
we wish we didn't have. But God, I pray in a new way today, we will all be able to trust you and know that your grace is sufficient, that you are enough, and that your power can even be revealed best in our weakest place. So strengthen us, lead us forward. Bless us, God, as we leave this place. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody.